Father, in humbleness, we come in your presence and thank you so much for your love that is greater than our capability to understand, greater than our mind, greater than our imagination. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this privilege to learn more about how to connect with you. Please, open the world for us. Touch every heart and transform us. In Jesus' name and merits we pray and thank you, Lord. Amen. So, <clears throat> I will not try to offend you, but I may challenge you a little. If you don't feel comfortable, don't take what you don't like, okay? It's okay. If you get upset with me, I will pray for you. <laughs> so, let's, let's go straight into the subject. Is it good to pray? Okay. Is it good to keep Sabbath? Yes. Is it good to go to church? Yes. To study your Bible? Yes. Okay. Can it be? Just think about it. Can it be that you pray, you keep Sabbath, you go to church, you study the Bible, you get involved in ministry, you do evangelism, you go to camp meeting, you do all the good stuff, and you are lost and you don't know that you are lost? Yes. Can you be in the church and be lost? Yes. Like the coin lost in the house. Like the virgin sleeping. How do you know if you don't know that you don't know? Do, do you follow me? How do you measure? How do you search to make sure that you are okay? Whatever we do, literally, whatever we do for God, unless we do it with God, has no value. You cannot keep the doctrines of the God if you don't have the God of the doctrines. Do you follow me? And so many times we get so far into religion and so far into service and so far into doctrines that we have the risk to forget the real connection with God where the power comes from. And if we have no power, Whatever we try to do, we never accomplish anything. And that's the reason we pray for God's blessing and we pray that God would help with this and that and that. And we never experience power and results. Because we should not pray for God's blessings, but first for God. Do you follow me? We should pray first for God. God has a plan for us. And we go and give God our plan and ask God to bless our plan Instead of seeking his plan. And his plan is usually different than our plan. In fact, God's plan is always crazy. <laughs> yes. If the plan that you have is not crazy, it's yours. <laughs> God's plans are as far as heaven to earth from our plans. God's plans and wisdom are foolishness for us. God would come to Noah and say, build an ark. If you are Noah, when it never rained, would you build an ark and spend 120 years building an ark? Would you? It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. God told Joseph, I'm going to put you over your brothers, over your parents, over your family. And then God put him in prison. Does it make any sense? He was a slave in a prison in Egypt. God told Moses, you are going to deliver my people and send him in the wilderness 40, 40, 40 years. Would you accept that plan? Because God, before using you, he has to break you. God cannot use somebody wise and smart and good and experienced. God can use only somebody humble. Yes. 
And before God can use you, he needs to break you on me and to teach us faith that has no doubts. Because when we doubt God, we make him a liar. When you doubt God's promises, Ellen White says we make him a liar in Selected Messages, Volume 1. It is Satan's plan that we doubt God and we trust self. In fact, when we seek our plan, Ellen White says, anytime we seek our plan, we focus on self, we seek influence or power or comfort, we show Satan's character, she says. Did you hear? You don't want me to repeat that, do you? I have the quotation on my cell phone, literally. When I showed it to one of the meetings where I spoke, people were like, wow. Can you imagine that every time you seek something for self, you show, you exhibit Satan's character? Jesus did not come to serve self. He came to serve others. Jesus did not pray for self. He prayed for others. In fact, one time in his life, he prayed for self. It was in the garden. He said, please take the cup away. And God did not answer that prayer. God said, no, you'll drink the cup. Jesus did not serve self. And he told us to follow him and to serve. Miracles that he did, he did not do them for self. He didn't say, heal me, give me bread, solve my job problem, my foreclosure. Moses said, Take my name off the book of life and save them. The people who tried to stone him. Would you be willing to say, Lord, take my name off the book of life and save that and that? Would you do that? But Moses was copying God's character. He became like God. Paul says, I would rather be anathema, that means cut off from the book of life, if you would save them. And they were trying to kill him. You follow me? When you start serving God doesn't need you to serve. In fact, wherever we go, we make a mess. God doesn't need you and me to serve. But only, Ellen White says, by service, we learn to surrender self and to focus on God and others. And the more we focus on others and invest in others, the more we are transformed, she says, in the book prayer, into his image. We become more and more like Jesus when we forget self and serve others. So God wants you to serve because that's the way you grow. Now imagine, every time we serve self, we ask God to do something against his character. Can you help me? It is better to focus on God and let him focus on you than you focusing on you. Therefore, every morning we should say, Lord, what is your plan for me today? How can I serve you and others? Imagine if every church member did that. Imagine. What is your plan for me today? Jesus says, I don't do my own works. I do the works of the Father. You remember the Bible verse in John? Seeking God's works every day. Not my works and his blessing, but God's plan. Lord, you have a plan today. Show it to me. Let me help. Let me be part of it. For instance, I was talking to one of my church members. I'm not going to tell you the place or the name. He is a very well-to-do guy. I mean, rich. And a good guy. That's good to have that combination in the church. Somebody rich and good. <laughs> really. He was not trying to give and then control. He was giving and saying, whatever you guys pray and vote, that's what you use the money for. That's amazing. 
I love him. <laughs> and he said to me, Pastor, you say that we got to serve. Yes. God did not put you in this job for you. God did not put you in this location for you. God did not put you in this school or in this whatever for you. He put you there for the people around you because he loves those people with a passion that you will never understand. And he wants you to love those people with a passion greater than love for you. And he put you there for them. And he says, this is your mission. Go and save. And you say, Lord, help me. Uh Uh-uh. And so I told him, God put you in that neighborhood for them. He says, you don't know those people. Those millionaires, they don't talk to each other. They don't need Christ. I said, beep, you are wrong. (laughs) They need Christ as much as I need Christ and you need Christ. They have back pain too, don't they? They have cancer. They have divorce. Oh, yes. They have stress. They have children that don't talk to them. Are you you listening? They have problems. They are empty. They need Christ. Everybody needs Christ. I said, we just don't know how to reach them. And I said, don't expect me to reach them. You are one of them. You should reach them. He said, well, but they don't talk to me. I said, then pray. Well, I did. I said, no, you didn't. Well, I did. I said, how much time did you spend in prayer for them? Well, maybe one minute a day. I said, before you spend three, four, five hours a day, you really don't care for them. Because what you focus on, what, that's what you care for. Do you follow me? Do they consume you so much that you pray for them as you would pray for your wife or son if they were in an emergency room dying? When you pray for them so desperate, then you care for them. That's how Jesus prayed for them. That's how you got to pray for them. He said, well, that's too much. I said, then go home. Stop coming to church. You are not an Adventist. You are a Pharisee. He says, what? I said, you heard me. I said, because you keep Sabbath? That doesn't make you an Adventist. Pharisees kept Sabbath and killed Jesus. Because you eat broccoli, that doesn't make you an Adventist. Baha'i people eat broccoli. You know? That don't, don't tell me that you are an Adventist because you go to church. Well, I keep Sabbath, I don't work. Well, lazy people never work. Are they holy? I said, unless you care for the lost, you don't show Christ's character. So I said, you need to pray for them with desperation. You need to pray for them to the point that you say, Lord, take my life and save them. And I said, you know how long should you pray for them? He said, about two hours a morning. I said, no. Three hours. I said, no. Until God saves them. Do we pray that way for our neighbors? Imagine if we did. People would know that we care. People would sense that we care. God would give you the plan every day how to reach people that are unreachable. And you would reach them and in heaven would be people forever because of you. Imagine the privilege. And so I told him that. He started to pray. Now he invited me to go and visit. When I went to visit him, it was an exclusive neighborhood, locked. And around the lake, big, gigantic, six, seven, eight thousand square feet homes. Nice. I was like, when you go to the dentist, (laughs) open mouth, wow. I was driving a Kia Rio. How many of you know Kia Rio? (laughs) That car, a friend of mine bumped the back. He backed in the truck and he bent the back. My father-in-law bent the right side, and my wife bent the left side. (laughs) And the brakes started to break on me, and there is something that covers, it's between the brakes and the wheel, and that that still got somehow dented, and it was touching on the brakes. And when I was driving, it was, and the the faster I would go, 
when I would go to church, everybody knew that the pastor is coming because of the noise. Oh, the pastor is here. Now imagine, I go to that neighborhood to visit my friend, and you see Porsche, Ferrari, Lexus, Mercedes, Maserati, and Kia Rio. <laughs> I stop at the gate, and, and the, 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 the guy there says, you are in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I'm in the right neighborhood. I am visiting so-and-so. He says, really? And he calls my church member. He says, yeah, he's my pastor. He says, he drives a Kia Rio. <laughs> he said, let him in. The guy lets me in, and I'm driving between expensive cars, between expensive homes. And I get to his house and get inside. And he says, you see them? Look through the window. I went through the window. And I closed the window. I, I said, stop looking to the homes and turn your eyes to Christ. Amen. Christ has a way when there is no way. And you are based on your wisdom and your power when you say there is nothing we can do. Learn to put your eyes on Christ because there is something he can do. That's the reason we say either we are selfish, oh, I'm too busy with myself, or we have no faith when we don't go to work. Because if we are selfless, and do you trust in the Lord? We go. You follow me? So I said, it's time for you to focus on Christ. That's what real Christians do. I said, stop looking to them. Turn your eyes up and say, Lord, give me my neighbors. And then say, Lord, I am willing to sacrifice my life. Take my life, but save them. He was like, whoa. And then he says, Pastor, let's talk about it. <laughs> My wife prepared some food. Oh, she is from Greece. When she cooks, you eat until you die. I mean, I can eat forever that food. I don't even care if I am healthy or not. I eat until I die. It's so good. She prepares some stuffed grape leaves. Uh, I cannot describe, but my mouth has already water, you know, it's when I think about it. And it was so, so good. I ate again and again. I forgot that it's, you know, it's not nice to eat so much. I ate and ate to the point that I could not move. And he was talking and I was enjoying the food. And he says, I'm praying that God gives me wisdom how to reach them. And, and I said, well, keep praying. <laughs> we talked, we ate, we prayed, I left. He calls me back and he says, you know, I was watching you eating. You seem to enjoy the food in my mind. Really? He invite me again. <laughs> and he says, as I was praying, God brought back the image of you eating like a wolf. <laughs> I said, you don't need to mention that to the church. Just keep <laughs> And he says, this is what I thought. God inspired me that my neighbors would never talk to each other, never go to a church or a Bible study. But if I invited them to eat with me, they would go to some Greek food. And he invited one neighbor. Would you come and eat with me? I says, no, I'm busy. And he called me and said, they didn't. I said, describe the food. <laughs> he called the neighbor and he starts, I have stuffed cabbage rolls and I have this and I have Greek Mediterranean salad with kalamata olives and feta cheese and I have this and not all healthy, but doesn't matter. And so he described the food, and the neighbor was, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> the neighbor came. Next Sunday, he calls the neighbor, hey, it's my anniversary. My wife prepared good food. 
we have this and that. Would you come again so we are alone? We want to celebrate with you because you don't have anybody. I'm coming. He came again. They didn't talk doctrines. He called me. Should I tell him about Jesus? I said, no. No, 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 no. You cannot tell people about calculus before the first grade and second and third. They need to get there. You need to go slow. Okay? Should I tell them about Jesus? I said, no. Just build friendship. You never lead to Christ a stranger. You lead only a friend. Christ method alone. I said, build friendship before you get them to church. Yeah, okay. What should I do? Just learn to be friends. Okay. They ate, and then he says, you know, I got an idea. Let's play a game. And the neighbor says, are you crazy? We are busy people. Oh, come on. When is the last time you played a game? Plays Monopoly and Settlers of Catan. Anybody knows Settlers of Catan? It's crazy, but it's nice. My kids and myself and my wife, we play and we don't stop. It's just fun. And we, he says, we played a game. And the guy was like, wow, I've not had so much fun in the last 20 years. I am always busy. I am always stressed. I never stop. He says, this was good. And my church member said, well, before we eat, let's pray. And the guy said, well, I don't believe in prayer. He said, well, it doesn't matter. In my house, we have a habit. We pray before we eat. But I don't believe. I don't care what you believe. Close your eyes. <laughs> the guy closed his eyes. And he said, well, what should I pray for? I said, well, I don't believe. It doesn't matter. Just tell me what do you need me to pray for. Well, my wife is leaving me. We are divorcing. Okay. He prayed. For the neighbor and the wife and the family and the children, you know. For the food. And then they ate. And then they played games. And then he left. Next Sunday, he sees the neighbor in front of the garage. Morning, good morning, how are you? I want to talk to you. You know what happened? No, I don't know what happened. First time ever in my marriage, my kids came to me, and they never talked to me. They are always on the text, and they ridicule me, and they are ashamed to be seen with me. And they said, Dad, are you sick? And I said, why? We have never seen you smiling or laughing in the last 20 years. You are always busy. You never care. You came home smiling and happy, and you talked to us. What's wrong with you? He said, well, I ate to my friend, and we played Monopoly, etc. They said, what's wrong with you? You played? <laughs> yes, and we ate Greek food, and we ate this and that and that, and we had fun. And they say, can we come? <laughs> His wife looks and says, the kids talking to you? What did you do to them? He says, this is that. Can I come? Next Sunday, the whole family came. The neighbor talked to another one. And then he came. Within six months, he had 11 families eating together and praying for one another. When people open their hearts with their problems, because they all have problems, and you pray for them, what is the message when you pray for them? I love you and I care for you. Enough to take time for you. Do you follow me? And they built friendship. And then the neighbor said, why are you different? And he says, should I tell him? I said, no, let them beg. He said, are you kidding? I said, don't tell a word. And they say, what do you believe? Well, I, I do have my religion, but I don't want to talk about it. Oh, please tell us. No. Oh, please. No. Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> I told him, if you tell them, tell them just a little. Let them desire more. Because if you give them more than they can handle, you'll never have a second chance. Don't give them calculus, you know. Give them one plus one. As Jesus says, I have many other things, but you are not able to handle. 
And so he told them a little about God's love. I said, that's enough. Oh, please, tell us more. No, next Sunday. Two years later, I baptized 46 millionaires. It was great to be a pastor of a millionaire's church. <laughs> God can do what you cannot imagine. If you give up self and focus on his plan and on people. Because God came to save people and he did not call you to salvation. He called you to service. And as you serve, you can be saved. As you become like Jesus and love the others around you and serve and save, that's our mission. God called us to service. And whatever he gave you, it is from him. It's not yours. And as you put him first, he can trust in you to give you more because he knows you, you will use it properly. And when you focus on you, he cannot focus on you. But when you focus on him, then he focuses on you. Do you follow me? And so, God has a plan for every day of your life. It would be sad to call ourselves Christians and never seek for God's plan. But always seek for God's blessing. Do you understand what I say? We do seek for God's blessing, but we are powerless, fruitless, because we focus too much on self. When we learn to pray less for self and pray more for others, that's when God can start working through us. And we are afraid, oh, if I, if, if I don't pray for me, what's going to happen to me? Who cares? You are not important. <laughs> I am not important. If I die, the church is going to be just fine without me. Oh, yes. I'm not important. But as I focus on others, and as I love others, God can trust me to give me power. When I focus on self, he cannot give me power. Because I am not going to use it properly. As I focus on others, he can bless me and trust me and use me. And that's the reason things don't happen. It's not because God has changed. God doesn't change. We change. And when we learn to love God and love people, then God can do miracles again. Only when the disciples focused on others and forgot self, and they say, if I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. I'm, I've been crucified. I no longer live. I die daily. This is not about me anymore. Only when we learn that, God can work through us. And that's a lot more difficult than to keep Sabbath or give money to the church. And that's what God requires. He cannot use me or you before we learn full surrender, before we learn full dependence in his wisdom, not our wisdom, in his plans, not our plans, to learn full obedience and full trust without any shadow of doubt. Doubt comes from Satan. Faith is not a feeling. Don't expect. Ellen White says faith is not based on feelings. God doesn't depend on your chemistry. Oh, I don't feel that he answered. God is the same when you feel it and when you don't feel it. God knew your life. He knew your sins. He decided to love you. And you don't feel today so he doesn't love you today. And you feel tomorrow so he loves you tomorrow. God doesn't depend on your feelings. He loves you just the same. Not based on what you do, but based on what he does and who he is. And therefore, don't wait to feel in order to believe. Take his word for it and make a mind decision. I believe. And tack faith. Don't allow yourself because the way you tack influences the way you think and the way you act. Tack faith. Ellen White says, tack faith, pray faith, 
You, you remember the quotation? Speak faith. Pray faith. Sing faith. She talks about it's a whole quotation. Talk faith. Pray faith. Don't allow yourself to even think negative. Think faith. And say, I believe because he promised and he cannot lie. And he is love. I don't need to understand. I don't need to deserve. I cannot understand God anyway. But I make a decision to believe. And so, for instance, we, we went to Cuba. You know the story? Which one of them? Many. <laughs> we went to Cuba. And one of the groups, we were three groups trying to plant three churches in Cuba. One of the group's leader, they started evangelism Thursday night. And the police came and took their room and kicked them out of the room and said, you don't have proper papers. So he calls me and says, Pastor, I I'm in trouble. Can I join your group? I said, no. Why would you join my group? Well, we, they took our room. I said, pray for a room. He said, well, it's impossible. They, they told us that we are not allowed. They will put us in prison in Cuba. I said, go to prison. Praise the Lord. God may have a plan for you in prison. You can serve in prison. He said, well, uh, 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 he was confused. I said, well, do you love God? Yes. More than freedom? Yes. Then go to prison. He said, well, I'm going to pray for a room. Pray for a room. He prayed, and the whole group prayed, five people there in that location. And they got no room. So he called me, what should I do? I said, am I God? Why do you call me? Call God. <laughs> he said, but you asked me to come in mission trip. I said, if you came because I asked you, go home. He's a good guy, actually. I love him. He said, okay, I'll pray more. I said, okay, now you got it. Nothing surprises God. We think that there is no solution. But all, how much means all? All things work together. When something happens today or tomorrow that you think it just happened, it didn't just happen. God is not in vacation. God is not sleeping. God is not unable. He's not unaware. And he's not incapable to help. God knows what happened. And if he said no, it would not have happened. If he said yes, he allowed it, and it happened because he allowed it. And if he allowed it, you need it. Stop praying to solve it, because God sent it. Rather say, why did you send it? Let me learn the lesson. Do you understand what I'm saying? We go to trials. Please, Lord, solve this, solve this problem. Solve it. Please, Lord, please. He allowed it. He allowed it for a reason. You must go through it. I want to be saved. I want to be patient. But please don't let anybody bother me. How do you learn patience if nobody bothers? I didn't get angry for two years. That's because nobody bothered you for two years. When you pray for patience, God is going to send people to bother you, to teach you patience. <laughs> when you pray for good relationships, God is going to send people that would have bad relationships with you. Do you understand? And they say, well, why do you allow that? I am answering your prayer. So I told him, God allowed it that you lose your room because he has something else in mind. Pray for God's plan because there is no impossible with God. Anything is possible with God. Amen. We make him so small. We make him in our image. 
I said, if things are small, they are not from God. God's plans are crazy and big. But you need to go down before you go up. And we don't like that. So I said, pray. He prayed, and as they were praying, and they prayed the whole night, and next day, God put in their mind, go back to the police. He went back to the police. Please, what can we do to do our meetings? And the guy says, okay, since you came, I'm going to tell you. You're supposed to have papers from the government and from the city. And you had only papers from the government. So you cannot do meetings in a public room. But you can do meetings in a church. He said, okay. He called me. He says, we can do meetings in a church. We are going to go to every church in the town, find one that would allow us to do meetings in the church. Now, I don't know the rules there, but sometimes there it doesn't, rules don't mean so much. It depends who you know and what you know and so on. And so, since they went there and talked to them nicely, the guy was kind and says, you can do meetings in a church. So my church member went to the first church, second church, third, fourth, all the churches in the town. And they all said no. So he calls me and he says, I could not find the church. I said, pray and go again. He said, well, I did. I said, just go back. He went second time to all churches. And they said no. He called me. I said, stop calling me. <laughs> go again. Like the woman that goes to the door and says, you know, you remember? Yeah. So he went again third time to all churches. When he got to the Baptist church, the guy says, well, since you insist, I guess I can let you do meetings in my church. But the roof is broken. It's raining in the church. We meet in a corner. If you pay for the roof, we can let you do meetings. <laughs> he says, how much is the roof? 2,500. He looks to his wife, how much money do we have left over for lodging, for food, for Bible workers, for transportation, you know? And she says, 2,500. He calls me, can you give me some money? I said, no. <laughs> if I give you my oil, none of us would have enough oil. Pray for money. He said, well, come on. I said, yep. He prayed and he says, God didn't give us money. I said, because you still have money. Use what you have. <laughs> But that, that's the money for food. I said, you are fat anyway. You don't need to eat. <laughs> He's not fat, but I was just joking. He says, oh, come on. I said, give him the money. He gave the money to the Baptist pastor. And they started the meetings. When they did the meetings Thursday night, first night, 16 people came. Now, when they did the meetings Sunday night in the Baptist church, 16 plus the Baptist pastor and his family. And then Monday night, 140 people came. And he says, who are these people? And the Baptist pastor says, I came last night to check you out, and I liked it. So I invited my whole church. Yeah. You understand why God took their building away? Yeah. Because God had in mind something better. And we always get disparate. Oh, this is what happens. Stop complaining. You have a God that is real. So he says... 140 people came tonight, Pastor. I said, praise the Lord. He said, but we need to pay the transportation now and the food and the lodging and we have no money. I said, pray. <laughs> he prays and nothing happens. And he talks to his wife. Can you check if you have some money for pocket money in your purse? She checks and she says, you forgot to pay the Baptist pastor. I have the envelope, the 2,500. He calls the Baptist pastor. I'm so sorry, I forgot to pay you. The Baptist pastor says, I have the money in my hand. You did pay me. He says, Pastor, did you give me by mistake another envelope with 2,500? I said, I never do this type of mistakes. <laughs> he said, I have 2,500. I said, praise the Lord. He paid food, lodging, transportation, Bible workers, 300. 
Next night, when he pays, they count the money, 2,500. He says to his wife, you didn't count properly, yes I did. They pay 300, they count 2,500. Tuesday night, they pay, they count 2,500. Wednesday night, they pay, they count, still 2,500. He calls me, he was ecstatic, he was jumping and screaming. He was like, pastor, I keep spending and the money don't go down, I still have 2,500. I said, can you please give me that envelope? <laughs> he says, you need to pray now. They finished, they baptized many people. Not, not many, like 500, about 16, I don't remember. But when they left Sunday, when they left their location and drove to Havana, the money, when they started to spend, the money started to go down. And then we gave the money, to, we talked to the union and gave for some pastors and some Bible workers. Long story. His life was changed forever. Amen. What God can do, there is no limit to what God can do. When you surrender and when you serve, God has a plan. But we are so busy seeking God's blessings that we never seek God's plan. And we never experience God's blessings before we seek God's plan. And when we seek God's plan, we want his plan in our way. Instead of surrendering and learning to trust, 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 trust and obey. Trust like crazy. If God says jump, you jump. You don't question God. You don't expect to understand. If it doesn't make sense, I don't obey. You cannot understand God. Stop trying to understand. Learn to obey. But we don't obey because we don't feel safe. Because we like to control things. And we don't feel safe because we don't trust him. We say, but we really don't. And we don't trust him because we don't know him. And we don't know him because we don't spend time with him. Do you follow me? So you need to spend time with God, not as a routine, not seeking blessings, but seeking Him. You need to have a desire, a thirst. Lord, I want you more than life. I want you more than food. I want you more than water. I want you more than health. I want you more than job. I want you more than anything. I want you regardless what happens to me. So I'm not going to, I have problems. But you know my problems. Ellen White says, our prayers are not to inform God. He knows our problems. And he cares. You know my problems and you care. You gave your son. Sure you care for me. I'm not going to keep asking for me. I'm going to forget me. And this is the deal. I want you even if I die. Please let me know you. Let me see your face. Let me understand you. Understand your works. Let me get close to you. And as you thirst for God... The Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will let myself be found. Then it says in the Bible, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And as you seek him, you get to know him. And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you desire him. And the more you depend on him. And the more you seek him and you say, I, I, I need you. I love you. I want you. And you seek him more. And then he comes even closer to you. And you seek him more. And he comes to the point that you become one. Um, and you don't know. You don't know. You didn't do anything to change yourself. When you try to change, you never get victory. You cannot change yourself or others. Stop trying. But when you seek him without human effort, Elena says, at the foot of the cross, beholding his glory, beholding his life, his character, his love, his sacrifice, she says we are changed into his image without human effort. 
You don't even know. As you behold him, you are changed from glory to glory. And you don't know. And people see you and they see Jesus in you. And instantly you have patience and you have, you have kindness and you have love and you have humility. Why? Because you didn't try to change yourself. Because you got close to him. And the closer you get to him, the more you are transformed. And then you have power. And you talk and people are moved and people come and people seek you. And you wonder why. Because Jesus lives in you. People are not attracted by you or by me. But Jesus in you. People don't come to our church for good programs. If they want good programs, they turn the TV on. Stop putting good programs in the church. People come to church to seek God. If they want entertainment, they go to Hollywood. People seek God. And if we don't have a real, powerful, loving God in our churches, shining through us, people don't come to our churches. You follow me? So as we seek God, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and filled with God's presence, people come. And we have power. We got to start the sermon. Anyway, so, <laughs> yes, I never get to the, oh, 11, 11.30, we have only another half an hour. So, I want you to imagine, if you fully surrender, and fully seek God at any price, including life, including eternity, you say, I don't care if I lose eternity, I am not seeking eternal life, I am seeking you. Do you understand what I mean? What would heaven be? You live forever without God. You need to want God more than heaven. You don't want heaven because of eternal life. You want heaven because you want to be in his presence. And if God lives in Norway, you go to Norway. And if God lives in, you follow me? You want him, not his blessings. Imagine that you start seeking him. And your life starts going upside down and crazy. And you say, man, since I started to pray that way, everything is crazy. That's the way it should be. Everyone in the Bible, when they started to seek God, Satan attacked them right away. Satan is not, thank you, is not scared for you keeping Sabbath. Satan is not scared for you uh, knowing the doctrines or going to camp meeting or eating tofu. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's good, don't get me wrong. We should Go to church and go to camp meeting and eat healthy and study the Bible and pray. What benefit do you have to pray if you don't seek Jesus and you don't find Jesus in your prayer? It's only a routine. What benefit do we have to go to church if we go to church, go home empty as we went to church? And we don't find God in the church. What's the purpose to go to church unless to worship God? Do you follow me? What's the purpose to study the Bible if you don't find Jesus in the Bible? Jesus said to them, John 5, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they testify of me. You should search them to find me. What's the benefit? So Satan, when you, when you seek God, then he hates you, and he knows that's going to change your life. It's going to make you powerful. So he attacks you, and God allows it. And he says, yes, you need to go down, because I need you to learn some absolutely important, vital lessons. I need you to learn faith, to learn humility, to learn dependence, to learn selflessness. I need you to learn these lessons to be like Jesus so then I can use you. And we run away because that hurts. And we cannot be used. And we play religion and we never get victory. And we never get power. God wants you to go to the fiery furnace to purify the gold. So don't run from the trials. Remember, when you go through the waters... I will 
be with you. So, when you go through the trials, instead of asking God to solve the trials, rather ask him to help you grow. Lord, you taught me to rejoice in all things. It's pretty difficult to rejoice right now. But help me to rejoice. I'm going to fix my eyes on you, not on trials. And I know that you know. And I know that you are here. So I praise you for the trials. I don't know what you are doing right now, but I know that you are working. You know. Fix your eyes on Christ. Because if you accept the trials, God is going to grow you slowly, patiently. He has a plan, and he is able, and he finishes what he started, and he brings all together that you don't even see. Three years down the road, you look back and you say, man, he was working. And then, as you pray that prayer, and you accept the trials, and you grow, you start getting power, and things start happening. But people run away from that experience because people want salvation without suffering. Isn't that strange? Jesus suffered, all the Bible people suffered, but we want to get there and be powerful without any suffering. Who told you that to be saved is easy? Even to do something stupid is not easy. And, or to do something good, to go to school or to have a job is not easy. Even to be lazy is not easy. Why would salvation be easy? It's easy only when you let God work it out. But you are going to go to trials. And so, let's move a little. God has a plan. And in his plan, you cannot understand his plan. But what you can do is to surrender daily. Every morning, ask him to wake you up. And spend time in prayer. Not necessarily asking, but spend time seeking. And how do you spend time in prayer? Some people go into crazy, uh, nonsense, uh, stupid uh, meditation. Meditation is biblical. It says, day and night I meditate upon your word. And then I says, when every voice is hushed, you remember this side of ages? The quietness of our soul makes possible to hear the voice of God. He says, be still and know that I am God. You remember the quotation? Meditation is biblical, but you know how it is in the Bible? You don't focus on nothing, you focus on Christ. Amen. You don't empty your brain, you fill it with Christ. Amen. You don't meditate upon you or problems or nothing. You meditate upon his word and his law. You make it a delight. You follow me? That's biblical meditation. When you reflect on him, you reflect on his word, you reflect on his sacrifice, you fill yourself with him to the point that there is no more room and it bubbles out. And as you do that, you mix prayer with study of the Bible. I just read today in the morning in selected messages, I don't remember the chapter, I have it in my cell phone, somewhere around 40, somewhere there. And she says, she says, Bible study is when God talks to us. As we study the word, is when God talks to us. You pray, you talk. You study the Bible, he talks. You follow me? They go together. And you don't study to do your duty. I read three chapters today. I feel good. And you don't even remember what you read. And you pray and you don't remember what you prayed. You just, amen. Reflect on what you read. Say, Lord, please give me your spirit to understand what you want to tell me. Please inspire me. And you read again the same verse. 
and you think about it, and you pray over it, and you read it again, the same verse, and you read it again, and again, and again, and again, until you memorize it. I store thy word into my heart that I may not sin against you. I store means I memorize. If you do that every day, after 10 years of being an Adventist, you know how, how many Bible verses you know by memory? Can you imagine? 360 verses in a year, in 10 years? Whatever you go through, God is going to remind you. The Holy Spirit would remind. To remind means that you learned it. If you didn't learn it, there is nothing to remember. You put it in in order to have what to call out. You follow me? The Holy Spirit would remind you what you need to say. When you go through trials, would remind you what you need to strengthen you for the trial. When you go through temptation, would remind you what would keep you safe. I store thy word into my heart that I may not see. When you talk to people, remind you what to say. Because there is stored there. You follow me? And it keeps you with God all the time. As you walk, the Bible verses come to you. As you talk, the Bible verses come to you. And that's how you study and how you pray. For instance, when I study, and I'm not saying that's the rule. I just tell you how I do it. I pray over one verse and read it and ask questions. All type of questions. What if I was Noah? Would the conference fire me? Would my wife divorce me? What would the church say if I started to build an ark? In the top of the mountain when there was never rain and I work all my life to build an ark. What would people say? Would my family enter the ark? What if they see the animals entering? What would, be, what would I do? Would I sacrifice a whole life to build a nonsense ark? I would ask questions to make it real today what happened long ago there. You follow me? And as I ask questions and pray and read again and pray and read, then I go to the spirit of prophecy and read the same story to get another perspective. You understand? And then I get a paragraph that, wow, I never thought about that. I take that paragraph, take a picture with it, and put it in a folder in my computer. And if that paragraph is about faith, I have folders with every letter of the alphabet. F, faith. S, Sabbath. Sanctification. F, forgiveness. You, you understand? I go to that folder. Where is faith? Okay. And put the paragraph there. And then I write towards the idea that the Holy Spirit, you get a, a perfect, a profound, impressive, wow, idea. You follow me? But tomorrow, you say, man, that was a great idea. I just don't remember. You forget. So you write it down. I write it down, and I put it in that folder. And I put the verse, and I put the idea, and I put the quotation. And next day again, and next day, after 10 years, my folders I are full. And when somebody would ask about sanctification, I open the folder, and I have a whole sermon with paragraphs and stories and Bible verses and ideas on sanctification. And when somebody talks to me, all of them, because I read them many times, all of them come back, and I tell them, T -t 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 -t, this verse, this quotation, this. They say, how do you know them? I've been storing them since, you know. And you study in an organized manner, and you put it together, and you read it again, and you pray over it, and you memorize it. And instead of reading a lot and getting nothing, you read a little and get a lot. Do you understand? And this way, you understand what you read. That's how you meditate. You reflect on what you read. Does it make any sense? So you don't just fool yourself. I am a Christian. I did my prayer. No, you didn't. I read my Bible. No. That's how you pray. That's how you read. You spend time with God because relationships are based on quality time that you spend together. If you don't spend time, 
we fool ourselves that we love God. But love means time. You understand? You cannot know somebody that you don't spend time with. Oh, I don't know God's voice. God doesn't talk to me. No, you don't talk to him. You understand? I keep telling people, my wife and I, I put my eyes on her when she was three and I was six. Real story. And I kept my eyes on her since and never took my eyes off. And I learned everything about her. What ice cream she likes. I like pistachio ice cream. I know it's not healthy. I don't care. Leave me alone. (laughs) She likes vanilla ice cream. I don't like vanilla ice cream. But I made myself like vanilla ice cream because she likes vanilla ice cream. I know what she likes to get dressed with. I know what she, I know the music she likes, everything about her. When I told her I know everything about you, are you stalking me? I said, no, this is not stalking. This is extreme love. <laughs> I followed her. I learned everything about her. I would miss my class. If she went to school at nine, I went to school at nine and we walked together. Though my school started at eight, I could not care less that I miss a class <laughs> or I miss school. I could not care because she was first before school. She finished school at three, I finished school at two. I stayed one hour behind and we walked back home together. Yes. And we dated and then we got married 33 years ago. And every day I am more and more in love with her and I am handicapped. I don't function or I cannot eat or sleep well without her. Because I keep my eyes on her. And we talk a million times a day on the telephone when I'm not home or on Skype or on FaceTime. And when I go to sleep, we sleep on FaceTime. Basically, I watch her how she falls asleep, and then I go to sleep. And she calls me, and she knows that I eat. I eat, and I never gain a pound, and I eat all the time. And she calls me and says, honey, you need to eat, otherwise you get stomach pain. I said, yeah, honey, but I'm busy. Go get a sandwich. Okay, bye. Love you, love you. She calls me two hours later. You got a sandwich? No, not yet. Go get a sandwich. Love you, bye, love you. When I drive home, I have no signal. I go between mountains. She called me, love you, sandwich. (laughs) How do I know that it's her? I know her voice, I know the message, I know everything about her. It doesn't matter the telephone is interrupted, I know her. Why don't we know God's voice? Because we don't know him, because we don't watch him, because we don't talk to him, because we don't listen, we don't... We don't go to sleep watching him. We don't wake up in the morning looking for him. Do you understand? We need to love God to the point that you go to sleep talking to him. In the middle of the night, if you wake up, you look for him. Are you still here with me? I want you here. When you wake up in the morning, I'm not going to start my day without you. I want you in my day. I want you in my family. I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. I want you more than business. I want you more than... Please, I give up everything. Come. That's the way you seek God. To the point that you seek so much that you know him, you know how he talks, you know how he works, you recognize him. If the connection goes off, you still know that he is there. Oh, it was poor signal, but he is here. Do you understand? If we don't love God so much, we will never be able to be used by God or to grow or to get victory or to have power. Because all is based on relationship. It's not based on your wisdom, your experience, your power, your plans. Ah, that's failure. All is based on Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because eternal life is to know Christ. It's not what you do, it's who you know. You understand? So that's religion. Am I saying that the other things are bad? No. 
I'm saying that the other things without Christ have no power. But when you have Christ, the other things are not an effort. They come naturally and joyfully. When you have him, his law is a delight. When you have him to serve, it's a privilege. When you have him, you have power and you don't even know. When you have him, fruits follow and you don't even know why. Because you did nothing. You, all you do, you seek him. You follow me? That's the reason we don't have power. Because we miss the source of power. The spring of power. And that's what we need to seek. Before anything else. That's where the power comes from. And when we learn to surrender. And to give up self. And to give up our prayers. And to give up our plans. And to seek him first. Him and his kingdom. When, I, when he says in the Bible, seek his kingdom. In Matthew 6. He doesn't refer to seek eternal life. But to seek the prosperity of his kingdom. Basically, to serve. We seek him and we seek to prosper his kingdom. Lord, I want you and I want to serve you. And whatever happens to me, it's up to you. I trust you enough. I trust your love. I trust your wisdom. I trust your power enough to put myself into your hands. Do what you want. I trust you. That honors God. That allows God to pour power on you. Because you don't use it according to your plans. You ask him how to use it. You understand? That's what we need. I wanted to, to start this sermon, but our time is almost... Yes. Our time is up, and I'm hungry. So, you don't need me, or a sermon, or anybody, or a seminar. We all need, regardless position, we all need to understand that religion, without a relationship with the God of religion, has no power. We all need to understand that God cannot work in us before we give up self. And that's painful, and that's going to hurt. So when you start that experience, and it hurts, don't get discouraged. It is good news. And when you feel that you don't grow, and you are a sinner, that's good news. Because if you don't feel like a sinner, you are far from Christ. Elena says, the closer we get to him, the more we see how we are and the more desperate we are. That's good news. When you say, I am a sinner, it means that you are getting close to Christ. And as you see him, you see how you really are. Because before that, you didn't know how you are. You understand? Therefore, stop looking to self. When you look to self and you see that you don't grow, you'll get discouraged. Satan wants you to, get, to be discouraged. Stop monitoring your growth. Give up you or eternal life. Give up blessings, give up help. Give up you altogether. Put your eyes on Christ. Let him care for your salvation. Let him care for your growth. Let him care for the other things. I seek you and I trust that you will finish what you started. You follow me? Because if you look to self and you don't see growth, you'll say, oh, it doesn't work. And you give up. Focus on him and trust in him because he is able. He saved the thief on the cross. He saved Mary. He saved Rahab. He saved Ruth. He saved the woman at the well. You follow me? He can't save anybody. And the thief on the cross did nothing. That stinker, he did evil all his life. And then she says, please remember me. And Jesus says, you'll be in heaven. Is that fair? And I sacrifice here and I serve all my life. Salvation is not based on what you do. 
is based on him. Whatever you do good has zero value. Our good deeds have zero value. It's only by Christ and his sacrifice and his merits. I tell this stupid parable. When Noah had the ark and God said, open the door and invite them, whoever enters will be saved. If a drunk guy would have been walking by and by mistake he got into the ark and the door was closed, would he be saved or lost? Why? Because he's inside. Don't you understand? That not what we do saves us, but our relationship with Christ, when we are in him, Christ in you, the hope of glory, who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not, it's not saying, who calls the name of the Lord, it's a present continue. It means who keeps calling God's presence, who keeps on calling God's presence. As the thief called him on the cross, you, who keeps calling, if you keep calling him every day, Lord, I cannot do it, but I want you. Please Come. As you keep calling him every day, he in you will do what you cannot imagine. Therefore, stop doing it and start calling him. And if you don't understand what happens, that's good. You don't need to. It means that you learn faith. People that fix their eyes on God daily, they have joy. He says in Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace, him whose eyes are fixed on you. You keep your eyes on him, whatever you go through, you know that he is there. In fact, it says, listen carefully, the people who spend continually time in God's presence, I'm, I have the quotation on my presentation, but I just say it from memory. The people who continually seek God's presence and stay in God's presence will get to the point that they sense the presence of the unseen world around them. You would sense, I have the quotation here, they sense the presence of unseen world around them. God opens your eyes that you feel it and you see it, what others don't feel and don't see. Like the, like the king and his, uh, I'm sorry, the prophet and his servant. In the morning, Master, there are Syrian armies around the mountain. We are lost. We are in trouble. We have this crisis in life. And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes. Why would the prophet see it and the servant didn't? Because the prophet was seeking God's presence. Do you understand? You see what others don't see. You sense what others don't. You have peace whatever you go through. Because you know nothing happens by chance. If God allowed it, he's there with you. He's going to get you through. He has a purpose. And you trust in him and you have peace. People need that. Our time is up. Do you have, let's take five minutes and have, see if you have questions. Don't make it difficult. <laughs> Do you have questions? Related to prayer. Relationship. Don't ask me questions about food because I know nothing except to eat. <laughs> no, I did not get a new car. No, I always give to the church. I never take from the church. Never. Yes. I'll repeat the question for you. Yes. I will. I will. Okay. How can I pray for my children that they are not seeking Christ? Listen carefully. We don't have time. In the Bible, according to my study so far, 
there are eight types of prayer. Two types out of eight, you can pray continually. The other six, you should put some limits. For instance, petition prayer. Lord, help me with my school. Help me with my house. Help me. You follow me? That's a petition prayer. You should present your needs before the Lord because he cares for all our needs. You should cast all your worries upon him. But you should put a limit, not pushing God over and twisting his arm. I want this job, I want this job, I want... Because God may have a different plan. And you should be able to say, nevertheless, Lord, may your will happen, not mine. And you should mean what you say, and you should be willing to accept his will. So you should not force God to serve you the way you say. But you, you should, after you present your needs, accept his will. And that's petition prayer. However, when you pray for somebody's salvation, that's intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer and relationship prayer, you should pray every day. You should seek God's presence every day. You should seek to know him. And you should pray for others. You follow me? And that's the prayers in the Bible that you should pray all the time. Why intercessory prayer? If my son says, Lord, leave me alone. I don't want you in my life. Get out. God respects our choice. He gave us the freedom. Choose today. You understand? If God forced you, Satan would have been right. That God is not love. But God respects our choice. So my son rejects God. God cannot work. But I am praying for my son. And God has to answer my prayer. And that gives God opportunity to work. You understand? And that's the reason Jesus says to Peter, I am praying for you. Because Jesus is our intercessor. You understand? And so therefore, we are supposed to pray for people every day. Because as we pray for them, not for their job. Lord, help my kid get in Loma Linda. Oh, Loma Linda is a good school, but I, that's petition prayer. Intercessory prayer is, Lord, save my kid. You understand? And as you pray for your children or for your neighbor every day, it is God opportunity to work every day. And as God works, things may happen in a strange way. They have an accident because if they don't listen in a good way, God is going to allow trials because we have in mind today, God has in mind eternity. And God allows trials if that's the means to save us. Because the trials of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory to come. Therefore, God would use anything to wake us up. You understand? And so, as you pray for them, God keeps working and working and working until finally they are willing to listen or they turn around altogether. Therefore, you need to keep praying for them regardless if you see a change or not. Continually, never stop praying intercessory prayer. Because God answers prayers. Ellen White says, and we, we finish, we, I don't want to go over time, moreover, I am hungry. But, we have several minutes. We can ask, an, we have another question. But Ellen White says, listen carefully. To every honest prayer, an answer will come. How many? Every. That means all? Did you get answer to all your prayers? Now listen carefully the rest of the paragraph. Again, to every honest prayer, an answer will come. But it would be wrong to assume that God answers the way we want in the time we want. And then she says, he answers in the best possible way. And then later, she says, if we knew the end from the beginning, we would choose the same path. So basically, God answers prayers, but we are so limited in our vision that we want this. And God says, no, 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 trust me. I am answering exactly what you asked for in a different way that is way better. 
because God puts the whole puzzle together, not only what we ask for. You understand? Therefore, do not expect to get an answer the way you want, but just trust in him because that honors him. Without faith, it's impossible. God cannot answer when you don't trust him and make him a liar. In fact, answer to prayer in the Bible, in the Bible, there are about 700 prayers that I counted without the book of Psalms. 650 out of 700 have recorded answer. From those recorded answered, 650 prayers, 92% of them, according to my study, the answer is a process, not an event. Amen. When you start praying, it seems that God doesn't work. But when you start praying, God starts working. And until he delivers the answer, it may take three weeks, like Daniel. Angel came and says, when you started to pray, I started to work with the kings of Medes and Persians. You remember? And now, three weeks later, I come and deliver the answer. When you start praying, God starts working. Because you don't see it, doesn't mean that he doesn't work. You don't just see it, but he's working on it. Amen. And you need to wait upon the Lord. And we have a problem. We pray, and we don't see the answer, and then we act. And says, those who wait upon the Lord are refreshed. We don't have the patience to wait. Lord, do it now. Uh -uh. You understand? It's very hard to wait. Moreover, like somebody like me, I cannot stand still. I got to do something. It's very hard to wait and to trust. And we make a mess. You understand? Another question. Quick, one more. Yes. How do you wait in prayer? I said before, I'm not sure that I have the answer, but according to my study, and I'm not saying that it's right what I say, when I pray, first I don't hurry to say the, the formula, because there's no prayer. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Prayer has to be an honest conversation. It cannot be a routine uh, prayer that you pray every day. That's poetry. It's like saying to my wife every day, good morning, honey, I love you, bye. Hey, my wife would not accept that. She wants me to talk with her, you know. So, first prayer should not be a routine. When you pray the routine prayer, you don't even think. Your mouth just goes. And God cannot accept that. Number two. That's the reason you say don't repeat the same words again and again. That's routine prayer. Okay. Number two. Besides that my prayer is a conversation with the Lord. It's not a routine. I always remind myself who I am talking with. I don't just... You go into God's presence. He's the God of the universe. I don't get it when people talk to God as they talk to a body. You go into God's presence. Prophets would drop down before God. Angels cover themselves before God. And they say, oh, God is love. You can say or do whatever. No, you cannot. If you realize that you go into God's presence, you instantly forget everything around you and you are respectful and reverent. And you enjoy his presence, but you are respectful. When you realize that you go in God's presence, then your prayer is not just a routine, but it's meaningful. You understand? That's the reason in the Bible when they start praying, they don't start asking. They first remind themselves who they are talking with, and they say, Lord, you are the one who split the sea. You are the one who gave us manna. You are the one we come to. You, you follow me? You, you remind yourself who you are talking to. Then, after that, very important now, 
you pray and don't hurry. Elena says that we hurry to God's presence and we miss the blessings. I have the quotation again on my presentation. We hurry to God's blessing, to God's presence, and we miss the blessings. You don't hurry. Hurry is an enemy of the spiritual life. You cannot hurry when you want to spend time with God. That means that you do only the, your duty to calm your conscience. Take time for God. Love Him more than sleep. Love Him more than job. Love Him more than school. Ask Him to wake you up early in the morning. He's going to wake you up at 3 or 4 o'clock. And you'll hate that. And say, praise the Lord. And then get away from your bed. Because He's going to pull you back to sleep. Go in a different room. Have a place of prayer. Dedicate it for prayer. Go to that place. Wash your face. And remember, God is there. And so, you wake up early. And as you do that... You don't hurry through prayer. But you spend time and pray, and then you spend time and study, and then pray again, and study again, and pray again. You pray, to, you have a conversation. You pray, you read. You pray, you read. You think, you pray. You follow me? So you give a chance to God to talk. And most of the times, God talks to me through my study. You follow me? And then, you present, Ellen White says, every morning, commit your children, your family to the Lord. You present your family, you present your neighbors. You don't pray generic. Lord, be with the poor. May the gospel be preached in the world. Please be with, please be with our church. Be with my children. Amen. Forgive my sins. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything. Bye. That's Bologna. Prayers should be specific. Confession should be specific. Praise should be specific. You know, be with the neighbors. You talk about the neighbors. Lord, Mary is divorced. She has cancer. She has no job. Please help her. I would rather give her my job. Would you take my stuff and give it to her? Pray for her as much as you pray for you. You cannot tell me that you love your neighbor as you love yourself unless you pray for your neighbor as much as you pray for yourself. You cannot tell me that you love your neighbor as you love yourself unless you spend for your neighbor as much as you spend for yourself. So stop telling yourself that you are an Adventist unless you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You cannot say that you love God unless you love your neighbor because you need to love God's children in order to love God. You follow me? And so you spend time naming each one as you care for them. And naming each neighbor and each problem. And naming each sin when you confess. And praising for each answer. Like, Lord, thank you for everything. Uh-uh. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits. Ellen White says, we have nothing to fear unless we shall forget how God has led us in the past. So take one by one. Lord, I was there and did that. And you answered that prayer specifically. Thank you. And you praise him. Why? As you praise him specifically, one by one, not because God needs to be flattered. As you praise him, it reminds you how he has worked in the past. And it gives you confidence that he is powerful, that he loves you, and he's going to work in the present. Whatever you go through today. Ellen White talks about that. She says, look into how God has led us in the past. Give us the courage to go through the trials of the present. You follow me? You praise him specifically. You pray for others specifically. And as you do that, your prayer doesn't become a routine. It's real. It's conversation. And time goes and you say, man, how do you pray three hours? Well, when you do that, time goes quick. Imagine if you pray for your friends, your neighbors, your family, and your church. And you go name by name. It's going to take four hours. Are you willing to sacrifice four hours? That means that you love them. You understand? When you spend four hours for them, you invest so much in them. You are going to love them and you are going to care. And God is going to answer. 
Does it make sense? Well, that requires a life change. And we don't like change. Oh, we talk about, Lord, change me. But we hate it. But don't worry. Don't try to change your life. Don't try to pray four hours. Don't try to lift 200 pounds weight. Start with 20 pounds. 20 pounds. And after a week, go to 30. Start with half an hour prayer. But mean it with all your heart. And as you pray half an hour and you get closer to God, you are going to go to an hour before you know it. Learn prayer by praying. You understand? And as you go to two hours and more, God is going to tell you when to pray, what to pray for. And don't pray for what you want. Because you don't know for what to pray, says in Romans chapter 8. Ask God what he wants you to pray for. Ask God what is his plan, what he wants you to invest in today. Pray for what to pray before you pray for what you pray. You understand? Okay, our time is up. I'm sorry that we have no more time to go through the sermon. We have no more time for questions. It's, time for, it's good to start in time and finish in time, isn't it? Amen, Amen to that. And it's good to eat. <laughs> Folks, please. God is calling his church, calling you to have a meaningful, honest, real, profound relationship with him. Total dependence on him. Total trust in him. Full surrender, full obedience. Seek that more than things. That means to be real Christians. To be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we cannot talk enough about you. We cannot learn enough. We cannot get close enough. If we spend eternity, we will never get to fully understand you. But it is amazing the closer we get to you. The more we know you, the more passion we have for you and for people. Please help us to stop trying to change ourselves, but help us to seek you. And while we desire change, to understand the change and life and power and blessings are in you. So Father, please help us to fix our eyes on you and seek you more than anything else. And trust your promise that doesn't ever fail, that if we seek you, we'll find you. We pray in Jesus' precious, powerful name. And we believe that you already answered, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.